Good morning, everyone. You looking forward to Christmas? Some of you, maybe. Some of you. Um, it was great. Um, if you were involved in, in the food bank collection over the last two days at Tesco's, um, on behalf of the food bank team and on behalf of the elders, I just want to say thank you so much for being generous in your time. I understand the course of the two days, um, just under two tonnes of food was collected, um, which is going to make an amazing difference. This morning we're going to be kicking off um, uh, four preaches where we're going to be just looking at different aspects of the Christmas story. We just wanted to spend a bit more time in December this year just just lingering a bit longer um, uh, in in this whole area. And so I've got the privilege of kicking off um, with the first one. And uh, if you're taking notes, um, the, the title of what I'll be preaching about is The Birth of Jesus, The Fullness of Time. I don't know, I would imagine in a, in, in a room with this many people in it, when, when I talk about Christmas, there's real mixed emotion. Um, if you're under 14, 15, maybe it's real excitement. You're wondering what present is Father Christmas going to bring you? You notice I didn't say mum and dad, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good like that. Um, I wonder if there's excitement. I wonder, for some of you, you're just thinking, I have a to-do list so long, I don't know if I'll ever get there by the 25th of December. It could be more like the end of January by the time I get to the bottom of it. For some of you, it might be just dread, to be quite honest. This is the worst time of year. This is, this is the hardest time. What, whatever situation you find yourself in, I wanted to lay a biblical foundation. I wanted to spend a bit of time looking at what Christmas is all about with a view of laying a foundation that whether you're going to be as hectic as anything running around, doing a whole load of different things, whether you're really eagerly waiting for your presence to arrive or whether you're facing it with a, with a sense of dread, I want to lay a body of truth in your life that will give you strength and sustenance as we walk through the next three to four weeks. Because because I know it's it's mixed. I know it will be mixed for many, many of you. And so we are. We're going to look at the birth of Jesus, the fullness of time. And we're going to do that by looking at two particular passages. I'm going to look at a passage that you know very well in Luke chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, put one finger in Luke chapter 2. But I also want to look at it from another angle. Luke chapter 2 is like the pitch side uh, perspective. If you've ever been to a sporting event, it's like being on the first or second row in the arena and you're looking out and you get to see so much of what's going on. You're really right up close to it, but you can sometimes miss the big picture. So Luke chapter 2 is like being right up close. We can see everything going on. But we're also going to have a look at Galatians chapter 4. So if you've got another finger, if you put that in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read um, both of these. And that's more like the bird's eye view. We're going to get a bit of heaven's perspective of what is going on through the whole birth of Jesus. So let me read these, uh, let me read these passages to you. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, oh, was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the ha- of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now let's have a look at the bird's eye view, the one looking down. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. My plan is over the next 25 minutes, I just want to unpack those two verses. And I'm going to do it by splitting it into three parts. Let's pray. Lord, we we, we do thank you, Father, for the immense privilege of being able to worship you. I, I can honestly say there isn't anywhere I would rather be than here in this place, worshipping with this church, my friends, my family. Lord, I love it. I thank you for the immense privilege. And I thank you that you're, you're not a distant, far-off God, but you're one who is close to us. That you live inside of us and that you dwell among your people as we gather to worship. I thank you. What a privilege. I thank you as well for your word. And I, I just ask, as I, as I look to preach it, I ask, please, would you help me? I pray, Lord, would you take very familiar truths and make them live in our hearts afresh? I ask you that we would be caught up again with the wonder of the incarnation, the wonder of Jesus, you coming to earth. Lord, would we be captivated? Would we be stirred afresh, I pray? Amen. Excellent. So the first part, it says, but when the fullness of time had come. I, uh, I've, I, I've been looking at these verses for a while, and particularly uh, this, this part of the verse sort of captivated me. It, it, it caught me up. Do you know that the birth of Jesus wasn't, wasn't an accident? You know, it, it wasn't the result of chance. It wasn't some misfortune. It wasn't God's last minute attempt to rescue people. There's, there's a fullness of time. There is this, this, this growing, 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 ready for Jesus to be born. It's, um, it's an unfolding of God's purposes and plans. This, this salvation God had been planning, the birth of Christ he'd been planning for centuries before. It even says, actually, even before sin entered the world, you can read about, read about that in Genesis chapter 1. Do you know that God already had a plan about how he was going to save men and women? It's, I tell you, it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, we've, we've had some babies born recently in the church. That's, that's really, really good. And if you're close to it, your watch, mum, slowly getting bigger and bigger. After nine months, there is a fullness of time. Something has happened. Mum is definitely ready for the baby to come out. And the baby itself is ready to come out. It's grown bigger. It's grown stronger. There's this nearly like fullness. And once this event starts happening, nothing's going to stop it. 
And in a sense, I think this is what Paul the writer is trying to illustrate here. Obviously in the physical with the birth of Jesus and Mary, but actually more than that. There's a, there's a fullness of time happening. We, we, we see it in the sort of political, cultural arena. Even with the Roman Empire, commentators, much, people much cleverer than me, say that when Jesus was born was like the perfect time because the Roman Empire was across the known world. There was relative peace. And when the followers of Jesus went out, um, they had freedom to travel and communicate about what he had done. This is the moment then. Not only that, but Greek culture as well. Greek culture had invaded everywhere. So, so people sort of thought like Greeks. It was easy to communicate the gospel message from one nation to the next because this was the sort of pervading culture of the day. There was, there was a fullness of time in sort of the political, in the, in the cultural situation. But there was a fullness of time in the prophetic as well. As I've already said, right, right back in Genesis... God hinted at this salvation that we are going to be, we are celebrating in this season. God had been telling past generations it was going to take place. The prophet Isaiah, if you read the book of Isaiah, there are so many instances where he talks about Jesus the Messiah, what he was going to be like, what he was going to do. That's 700 years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And one of the passages we read this a lot this time of year, Isaiah 9. But for us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And it, and it goes on. All of these prophecies, all of these shadows of what Jesus was going to do, all of this sort of fullness of time, this, this gathering this waiting for Jesus to come on the scene. You know, you just, if you read some of the prophecies, it talks about Jesus coming out of Egypt, being born in Bethlehem, living in Nazareth. And, and, and I guess if you, before Jesus came along, you were wondering, how on earth will all of these layers work and fit together? But God knew. He was preparing the ground. He, he was getting it ready. But it's, it's not just a fullness of time. In the prophetic either. There's just a fullness of time in the moment. I mean, when you see some of the things that are going on around the birth of Jesus, and we're going to pick up some of these over the next few weeks, but just just a whistle-stop tour through, I, I find it quite exciting. Then again, when I'm up here, I often find stuff exciting. That's just, that's just how I roll. But there's a guy called Zachariah who was ministering in the temple, and an angel appears to him. And just get, I don't know, just get the sense of these words. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. There's a sense of heaven being pregnant, the fullness of time, and God says to Gabriel, go, now talk to Zechariah. Who is, going to be, who's, who is going to be John the Baptist's dad. But it's not just that. Gabriel then comes to Mary. And what, what does he say? He talks about the birth of Jesus. He talks about the fact that although she was a virgin, she'd never had sex with a man before, that she would, the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her, and she was going to, Jesus was going to grow in her womb and be born. But he, say, he says this, Gabriel says this about Jesus. He will be called great. And called the Son of the Most High. 
We then hear of an angel coming to Joseph. We don't know the name of this angel. We don't think it's Gabriel. Maybe he was called Bob or something like that. I don't know. But he says that he will save, Jesus will save people from their sins. When the angels appear before the shepherds on the, on the night of Jesus' birth, it says, born this day a saviour who is Christ the Lord. A few days after when Mary and Joseph and the little baby Jesus are in the temple, Simeon, who, who, who's, who's an old guy, he's been waiting to see the salvation of Israel. He comes up and he says this, my eyes have seen God, your salvation. Anna, who had been in the temple for maybe up to 84 years, again waiting, she says, I have seen the redemption of Jerusalem. And when the wise men turn up, maybe a few years later, it says that they fall down and worship him. There is this moment in time, there is this fullness of time when Jesus came. Just the right moment. It's exciting. I think heaven was rejoicing. But what did this moment look like? It moves on to the second point. It says this, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, I know these things are so familiar to so many of us. But my hope is that as we get to the end, or as I get to the end of this preach, your, your hearts have been freshly stirred to come and adore him to come and worship Jesus. So let's just take this a phrase at a time. What an amazing fact. God sent his son. I know, I know we know it, we've sung about it, we probably every week we realise it, but just, just take a moment. The fullness of time, the outworking of that, was God sending his son for you. He didn't even send Gabriel. When it really got to the business end of it, it was only his son he could send. The sending of Jesus is so incredible. Eternally, he and the Father and the Holy Spirit were together. Perfect unity, perfect harmony. He is being sent. He is the rescuer. What mystery, what glory. It says in John 3.16, just at the very start, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The greatest thing has already happened. And when we're battling with turkeys, when we're struggling with loneliness, God sent his son for you. There isn't a greater demonstration of the love of God than in the giving of his son for you. It is it's a, a wonderful mystery and there's a danger we become so familiar that it just passes us by. But we go again and we say, oh wow, Jesus, you were sent for me. How was he sent? He was sent born of a woman. I don't know if you again, just to remind you of things you know. The creator, Jesus the creator, who spoke... Was it Becky who said, or, or someone said, one word and it was all created. The creator constrained within the womb of a created. Have you thought of that? Just a few cells to start with, but growing. No less, than, no less God than he was to start with. A small five, six pound baby 
That's not a prophetic word. I've no idea how big he was. But, but, but a small baby born in weakness and vulnerability, born to a teenage single mum. That's how the creator came to earth. Not born in a palace or with a royal guard. He wasn't even born in a home. He was born in some set of accommodation out the back of an inn. I wonder if the angels were looking on from heaven in anticipation, wondering, how is the King of Kings going to come? How is the Lord of Lords going to arrive on planet Earth? What, what is it going to look like? I bet they were amazed. I bet if you could have seen their jaws hitting the floor when they realized, Mary? Bethlehem? No family to take them in. Even the inn is full. What, placed in a manger where animals, where, where a sheep was eating the morning before, the king of kings, the lord of lords, placed in there for his first time on earth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place for him at the inn. Jesus, still totally God. I, I want to labour that. It's, it's not that, that, that he was only partly God because he needed to be room, room for partly man. He, he was 100% God. He was still as much God when he was laid in a manger as he was in heaven. But he was totally man as well. He hadn't taken off any of his attributes. He was still all-powerful. He was still all-knowing. He was still everywhere in that sense, yet, yet constrained, yet, yet hidden. When he's laid in the manger, it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that he's still upholding the universe by the word of his power. What? How's that, How's that go? He didn't give it to the Holy Spirit and say, could you do that for a little bit? He didn't say to Gabriel, could you cover my shift of upholding the universe? I don't get how it, I don't get how it worked. But the Son of God totally got. Later when Jesus heals people, he's healing them as 100% man, 100% God. He hasn't, he hasn't taken attributes off and put them to one side. When it says in the Bible that Jesus was 30 years old, he was 30 years old, but he was still the eternal one. When he's asleep in the front of the boat, tired and worn out. He is asleep in the boat, tired and worn out. But he's still carrying things by his word of power. The creator, constrained in a womb, born in obscurity, placed in a major, totally God, totally man. Can I get my head around quite how it works? No, I can't, but it's what the Bible says. That's the wonder of it. The creator, sustainer of all things, born for me, for you. Born under the law. So we say, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Do you know that when Jesus was born, men and women had been under the law for 1,300 years? That's further back than the Battle of Hastings, when the Normans invaded. That's further back than then, 
all that time Israel had been under the law. I mean, the law is good. The law is a revelation of God's heart. It's, it's not, not like the English law, it's God's law. It's, it's the Ten Commandments, it's, it's instructions laid out in the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You're not to covet, you're not to murder, to steal, you're not to commit adultery. You're not to worship false idols. All reveal God's heart. They, 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 it talks about how we're to relate to one another, how we're to relate to, to God. It's, it's, it's good. But do you know that for 1,300 years, not one single man, woman, or child had ever been able to keep the whole law? Everyone had failed. No one had hit the target. Not, not even one. All had fallen short. All stood condemned before God. None were worthy of his love. Only his wrath and his judgment. But Jesus was born under the law and totally, completely, absolutely fulfilled it. He, he, he didn't miss a beat of it. In every way, he was perfect. He didn't just cover a few of the easier commandments. You know, I haven't murdered anyone, but I'm struggling with everything else. No, he covered, he covered everything. He covered absolutely everything. He succeeded where all others failed. He lived a perfect life. The only person who ever has And you might think, why? Why was Jesus sent? Why born of a woman? Why born under the law? Why? Well, it says, the next phrase in this verse, to redeem those who are under the law. The reason Jesus came was to buy us out of slavery and to save us from our sin. That is why the Christmas story is so really, really important. And that's why there is so much in it to get excited about. You know, I I love it when the kids come up here and they sing their carols. But that should be nothing compared to the excitement that we have when we think about all that Jesus has done for us and how he entered this world and how much he loves us in doing that. He came to redeem those who are under the law, to save me, to save you who are in rebellion against God. And Jesus was the only person who was perfectly qualified to do so. He was God's son, He was born of a human mother. He was born under the law and he totally fulfilled it. He he nailed it. He, He did it completely. John Stott says this. If he had not been a man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God or made them sons of God. The divinity of Christ, that is Christ as God. The humanity of Christ, Christ as a man. And the righteousness of Christ that he perfectly fulfilled the law. Uniquely qualified him to be your redeemer and to be mine. No one else could do it. He wasn't wasn't among a number who could have fulfilled it. Jesus didn't do it. We are lost. That's why he came. But it doesn't stop there. It gets better. So that we might receive 
adoption as sons. Wow. The wonder of the incarnation, that's Jesus coming to earth as a baby. The reason he came wasn't just to save us, marvellous as that is, but it's that God might adopt us. And if Jesus hadn't come, we couldn't have been adopted. It's built on that foundation. Again, John Stott says this, God's purpose was to redeem and adopt. Not just to rescue from slavery, but to make slaves into sons. It's wonderful. Absolutely glorious. I can tell you're rejoicing on the inside. You see, the the illustration that Paul had when he wrote Galatians was of a young man who was a slave in a Roman household. And the master of the household didn't have an heir. He had no one to pass the estate onto. So he legally adopted this Roman slave and passed his inheritance onto him. That meant his, that meant his property, his, his business, his name, everything got transferred from him became his, to, the, to the slave who became his son. Everything changed for the slave on the back of this. He might not initially have felt much different to start with, but it was a complete game changer for him. His, his, his whole, his whole um, hope for the future was a completely different level now. And the same is true for us. This isn't just some dry fact, oh good, I'm now a son. This is a life-changing truth. It affects our daily lives. That slave thinks differently now, acts differently now. His confidence before his once master, now father, is at a completely different level. And Jesus won all of that for us. The reason we're sons is because Jesus is a son and we are in him. Once I was a slave... But now I'm a son. I tell you, this is such wonderful news. And we, we haven't read it, but if you go on and keep reading in Galatians, verses 7 and 8, it says that we not only have the status of sons, but God wants us to have the experience of sons. That's why he pours his Holy Spirit into our hearts. God sent his son that we might have the status of sonship. He sent his spirit that we might have an experience of it. As I close, the wonder, the miracle of Christmas, the most wonderful rescue story, starts to be be revealed in the birth of a baby who is God. Who has come to rescue us from our sin and lift us to the most privileged position imaginable. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been caught up in the Christmas story. The truth that I've been saying here, the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem, to buy out, to save, to set free those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. That's true for us. That's the wonder of it. That, if I may encourage you to do, is what you need to be grabbing hold of over the next three weeks. Yes, run around after the Christmas presents, chase down that turkey. But, but don't miss what this is all about. What we get to celebrate, what we get to enjoy and revel in. Why don't we stand? Let me invite the band back up. Whatever Christmas holds for you, I want your soul freshly anchored in the most important thing. Whatever Christmas holds for you, I want your soul freshly anchored on the most important thing. Whatever Christmas holds for you, I want your soul freshly anchored on the most important thing. This is what it says in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Why don't you just close your eyes where you are? It's good when we close our eyes. It helps us to focus on God and uh, not be distracted. Father, I want to thank you for the amazing truth of the incarnation. I want to thank you. My, my My head, my brain is not big enough to grasp, to grapple with some of the things that, that, are indicated in your word about this, that, that are communicated in your word about this. It's, in some ways it's too hard, but I, I know how I can respond. I can worship. I can love you. But I, I want to pray for everyone who's here right now. I pray that for us, who have been rooted and established in love. That's what we've been by Jesus that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I want to pray for each and every one of you that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why don't you just raise your hands if you feel comfortable to? You don't have to. Why don't you start speaking out? Worship to Jesus. Why don't you thank you for the incarnation? Why don't you thank you, thank him for the fullness of time? You may want to do it a little louder, just to speak it out. It does something. When you hear yourself, when you hear yourself speaking out, it does something for your own heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you so much. How we love you, Lord. How we glory.
And what we're going to do with the time left is we're going to worship, we're going to have bread and wine, and we're going to minister.